tuned in to the Humane Roundup podcast with your hosts, Ashley Bishop and Daniel Edinger. I got really, really something special for you this morning. You ready? I'm ready. Are you sure you're ready? I mean, it's coming from you, so not really, but I'm ready. All right, here we go. We're in the studio right now with Audra and Lily, and we got something real special for you. You're now listening to the Humane Roundup. It's a great podcast, so turn it up. My dad's the host, and so is Ashley. She's in Wisconsin where it smells really nasty. Dad, you're mean, and that's not true. Dude, haven't you even smelled your poo? All right, that's fair. Let's get back on track. With his family rap. No cap! Animal control. Humane officers. So many names like touchdowns from Ben Roethlisberger. Animal crimes. All investigations. Animal shelters and adoption reservations. Like and subscribe and tell all your friends. The show is lit like a candle's end. And thank you for listening and, and keeping keep humane, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's it. That's that was our. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. you know I we love it. <laughs> we had some fun with that um, last night. We wanted to put together something special for the show that's uh, awesome yeah thanks i hope you didn't mind well done my... well done thank you <laughs> we uh we have a great show for our listeners today we're gonna chat briefly in a second i can't talk with the american horse council and we'll get them on and talk about none other than chihuahuas so stay tuned for that <laughs> my kids got it <laughs> uh my friend watched my kids for a couple hours the other day and she's like you know it was really nice i, I would have had a, a real hard time she's buying a house and whatever she's got personal stuff going on she's like but your kids were like special little emotional support chihuahuas <laughs> where does that come from i have no idea <laughs> i mean they're small and they're sassy and they don't ever stop talking Chihuahuas are constantly barking. I this mean, is true. This it is actually true. fit very well. Did they try to bite you? They did not. But I've I have met a couple nice chihuahuas here and there. Yeah, so. same, same. And once Little you pick them up, they're fine. Yeah, piranhas. <laughs> yep. Well, let's jump in. Let's introduce our guests. We have Ashley Harkins and Emily Stearns with the American Horse Council. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're excited to have you and, and really talk all things horse. Truthfully, I think it's it's something that we deal with a lot of officers. You know, it, it depends on kind of the jurisdiction, but a lot of officers do. And it's good to have you on to, to chat about. So we'll talk. We'll start with you, uh, Ashley. Why don't you kind of just give a, a quick bio, let our listeners know kind of what you do and, and who you are. Oh, absolutely. So I, um, gosh, I, I was one of those kids that went to school thinking, oh, I'm going to be a vet. This is great. And uh, I did four, year, four years up at UVM and uh, I was I was so burnt out. I, I ended up working for a, uh, a humane, a large scale humane organization in Massachusetts and um, absolutely fell in love with the work. I They had a uh, law enforcement department there. Um, we saw a lot of, you know, law enforcement cases, abuse, neglect, things like that. And um, I primarily helped to work with rehabilitating uh, the, the horses there. So things like, um, you know, putting them on a proper diet to help them come back from, uh, you know, abuse, neglect, things like that. 
And um, I also did a little bit of part-time work as an animal control officer for um, Ashland, Massachusetts for about, uh, I think it was 10 years or so. I did that on the weekends on top of my work with the uh, Animal Rescue League of Boston. And um, ended up leaving both of those when I went on maternity leave and worked for um, part-time now for the United Horse Coalition, which has been fantastic. It sort of culminates in this, in this, um, this passion of mine, and that's, you know, helping, helping owners to uh, care for their horses properly. Awesome. And so uh, it sounds, it sounds like with the ACO experience, you did that on the weekends. I did. Uh, yeah. Part-time. Wow. We'll jump back into that here in a second, but we want to, we, we want to have Emily introduce herself as well. And then um, we'll just start rolling with some questions. Yeah. So uh, I'm Emily Stearns and I got my, I, I'm kind of a self-professed horse person. Ashley left that part out too. She is also a quote <laughs> horse person. Uh, and I got my bachelor's of science in animal science from the university of New Hampshire. Uh, and then I, you know, went and managed big performance farms and, uh, met a boy I really like, or actually I had <laughs> carried this boy through college with me. Um, and he wanted to move to the big city, which as you know, might not work so well with horses. Uh, which I did own at the point at the point in time. So we moved to downtown Boston and uh, the horses came with us. So I was commuting with that. And I started working at the Animal Rescue League of Boston as well, which is where I met Ashley. And, and we were kind of the livestock people at that point. And I made the decision to go back to school and get uh, my master's of science in equine science, at which point after that, I got hired by the American Horse Council to manage the Equine Welfare Data Collective. So that is uh, my full-time gig at the moment. Um, but working with Ashley when we were hiring for a director of the United Horse Coalition um, through the Horse Council, she was on my mind because uh, I knew with her ACO experience and her horse personness, this is something mm -hmm. she was gonna really excel at. So you can say she's crazy; it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> the good crazy, the good crazy. Uh, also, not to be totally selfish, I just really like working with her. A <laughs> <laughs> good um, team. So, so I've been working with Ashley on this. I got hired to manage the research aspect, the Equine Welfare Data Collective, and about four years ago, and, and we brought Ashley on to be the program overall program director of the United Horse Coalition three years ago, Ashley, pre-COVID. Yeah, definitely. 2019. Yeah. Um, and we've just, we've just been kind of this dynamic duo for the past three and a half, four years, and it's it's been a really wonderful ride kind of no pun intended working <laughs> working together and kind of bringing our uh humane care passions and uh working with horses passions into one place so who's the horse and who's the jockey <laughs> oh that is a very big question <laughs> or do you right. take turns Here, wait. yeah definitely you, take turns you don't need to answer that question talk a little bit about the american horse council so ashley you're the director of the United Horse Coalition. Is that 
like how is that different from the horse yes council? so uhc is actually uh one of the programs that uh, that the american horse council runs um and emily's program is a pro which is the equine welfare data collective is a program of my program so um all sort of related but what uhc does is focuses on um basically trying to help owners keep their horse safe at home with them. So we try to provide um, resources for these owners uh, in, the, in, the, in the way of um, right now we're running what we call the UHC Equine Resource Database. And what that is, is an online database of about, um, I think we're up to 1,200 rescues and sanctuaries right now, but that's probably gonna drop once we run an audit. Um, to more around, we're guessing maybe around 900 or so. And um, this database also includes things like safety net programs or assistance programs, basically anything that we can identify nationwide that will help an owner keep their horse safe at home, um, so, you know, keep them out of a situation which could put them at risk for abuse or neglect. Um, so when I say safety net programs, those are things like, you know, hay and net, uh, hay and feed um, programs, vet assistance, uh, castration clinics, you know, even things as like, like euthanasia and helping owners uh, with the remains of their horses. So wait, um, wait, 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 wait. Is this resource available for ACOs across the country? How does this Yes, work? it's Whoa. all free and it's all online. Hold, um, so... <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. This hold has on. been our baby. Yeah. yeah. All right, really yeah. quick. I love this. Love, love, love this. I would be throwing mad heart emojis if this was text right now. <laughs> how, all right, so how does somebody get in touch with you or the the cold? Yeah. Like, how does this work? So, so, if I, so as an officer, I have somebody that need some assistance because horses ain't cheap. Mm -hmm. um, how do we get in touch? So what they do is they can go either directly to the website and uh, it works sort of like a directory. So what the owner or the animal control officer would do is go to the directory and they put in the state which they reside and the type of program that they're looking for. So specifically, I like to use hay and feed because that's the, the top resources uh, resource that people look for. Um, and they would put in, I'm looking for hay and feed resources in the state that they're in, and we will populate the results with any programs we're aware of in their area that um, might be able to help them. But what I also tell people to do is to um, don't, limit, don't limit themselves to just the hay and feed resource. Back that up a bit and, and actually go and look at what rescues and sanctuaries are in their area. Um, so broaden that search and reach out to those rescues and sanctuaries and ask if they have any programs available because sometimes those um, resources may not be in our database yet. Um, so if they are, if they don't have success with that, we also tell them to reach out to us because sometimes we can network with some of our partners to get them the help that they need. Okay, that's awesome. I'm going to buy a horse now. <laughs> We do offer as well on our website good educational materials for free on if you're thinking about buying a horse, what you should be considering. All right, talk about that, Emily. That's that's a good a good thing for people to to understand. Yeah. So, uh, and and this this part is Ashley's wheelhouse, but I can also talk about it. So she's put together. She is our 
uh, writer, graphic designer, website manager extraordinaire. And she's put together these free resources, basically like booklets of if you're thinking about buying a horse, the cost you need to consider, um, your options, how to safely source a horse. So making sure you're not getting scammed. Um, and also, you know, it's, it's all really just an informational aspect. So we can help you understand what you're getting into financially and making sure you're not ending up in a situation where you buy this horse and three months later, you're looking for help rehoming it or sure. getting hay or something. And when you say scammed, like getting a Great Dane instead of a horse. Is that <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, but well. also, um, we, you know, we talk a lot of, about to people where they're sourcing their horse from. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. And a lot of people, you know, you want to make sure telling new people you're bringing a professional with you, not just going at it on your own because you don't want to end up with something that's unsafe for you to handle. Sure. What sure. horses are dangerous animals? <laughs> <laughs> and we see that a lot. We see that a lot where owners get in over their heads and, and then, um, you know, other individuals need to step in to help them. And we're trying to prevent that as much as we can. We want them to be making responsible decisions as a horse owner. Um, one of the other big materials that we have out there lately that seems to be picking up steam is our, we do a lot with estate planning as well. So helping owners to sort of think about in the back of their head, um, you know, what, what happens to your horse if something happens to you? So, you know, if you lose your job or God forbid, you know, end up in the hospital, um, do you have a backup plan for that horse? Because one of the, one of the top reasons and I'm sure Emily can tell you a little bit more about this. This is her wheelhouse. But um, when we look at the data behind why these horses are ending up in rescues and sanctuaries, 75% uh, of those horses that are coming into the rescues and sanctuaries that have participated in the Equine Welfare Data Collective are showing that it's, um, they're ending up there due to reasons having to do with the owner and not necessarily the horse themselves. So, um, you know, reasons such as owner's health or the owner's finances. And um, part of, you know, why we're doing what we're doing is to try to get ahead of that so we can prevent that as much as possible. So if we can give these owners a little bit of a leg up when they fall on hard times, um, hopefully we can help prevent them from entering that, that uh, quote unquote, for lack of a better word, that pipeline. Go ahead, Dan. Well, just some great information. I'm, I'm at unitedhorsecoalition.org. Again, unitedhorsecoalition.org. There's a equine welfare data collective that you can just jump right into, which is really fascinating. I kind of got carried away while you were just chatting. I, I'm happy to talk about that now. <laughs> what you wish for. Well, I, I really want to jump into something that just jumped out on me on page two. And so when we talk about length of stay for animal shelters, right? Animal shelters, typically dogs have a pretty quick length of stay. I don't know what the national average is, but I would imagine. It's about 30 days. Yeah. So for a horse at an adoption rescue transfer center, it's 210 days. Mm -hmm. um, that's incredible. Just that, that number alone, the care that has to go into those animals, right? Not just from the financial burden or the financial standpoint, but standpoint, whatever the word is, Bishop. Um, fine. It's fine. It's a horse show. Um, Let me get you a thesaurus for Christmas. Thank you. <laughs> Talk about that, that just the people that have to care for those animals for 210 days, etc. Yeah. Like that's yeah, a lot so of work. 
so and we actually we did a presentation on this um, in February. It's recorded on the website um, if people want to go back and watch it after they listen to the podcast. But basically, we, we called it Love to the Rescue, and we did a comparison of the logistics of companion animal sheltering versus equine sheltering. And the numbers are, are really staggering in the differences. And one of the things when we're talking about the numbers is when programs for supporting horse owners and horse rescues are first getting started, there was a, a really big focus on, you know, castration and kind of what we can do to get horse numbers down because that's what happens in the, in the dog and cat world. We have all this overpopulation. Uh, but now that we have these hard numbers, it's the logistics of equine sheltering are much different and, and the realities are much different. So programs that work for dogs and cats aren't necessarily playing over into the horse world. So just to start off, uh, in the dog and cat world, about 50% of dogs and cats are coming in as stray animals, which would make sense. So when we're looking at spay neuter programs, that has a really big impact. Um, when we're looking at horses, 50%, 49%. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Yep. Yep. And, and not to stump for, you know, other programs, but if you guys ever talk about shelter animal counts or the pet point or best friends, they all have a lot of really good public free data on animal sheltering. Um, and so 50% of dogs and cats coming, coming into shelters from stray animals, you know, spay neuter programs will have a huge impact on that. Uh, for horses, the number of stray horses coming in is about one or 2%. And, and that's, they're not coming in from, you know, BLM land, Mustang land. Those stray horses are coming in from areas like in West Virginia, where there's a lot of feral mine horses that have been kind of turned loose uh, or kind of other areas where there's a high population of horses where people have had pet horses and they've kind of, feralized themselves um but other than that the vast majority about uh 50 or more are coming directly from owner surrenders and up to 20 percent or more are coming from law enforcement so so that is a hugely different uh kind of logistical problem to solve compared to dog and cat programming and then when you're looking at length of stay you know, we're averaging 30 days for small animals and 200 to 300 days for horses. So logistically, when horses come in from law enforcement, we're looking at, you know, by the time law enforcement takes a horse, something is, has gone, you know, pretty extreme. They're either a one or two maximum on the body scale, uh, the, you know, living conditions are either dangerous or a public health hazard, you know, something like that. Law enforcement doesn't want to take your horse. They, they don't even necessarily have the facilities to take your horse. So these law enforcement horses coming into shelters need a lot of supportive care. And that takes a lot longer than it does in dogs and cats. Absolutely. Especially just the, I mean, if, if you haven't dealt with a horse case and, and I've, I've dealt with a few, I mean, the, the idea or concept that it's going to be a quick fix is not, not no, something that yeah. happens. No, yeah. And Ashley and I have, have been on several horse confiscations. And not only is it logistically difficult, you know, you need to organize horse trailers, you need to organize handlers um, to get horses off the property. 
counties and cities don't have facilities for horses. So they're networking with local shelters or even I was um, at, I taught at the University of New Hampshire for a little bit and they had taken some ponies from the local law enforcement because law enforcement didn't know where else to send them. So it's, it's a lot of networking. And um, again, it's, it's just a massive resource load. Uh, right. Even yeah. with the, with the financial strain, especially for a rescuer sanctuary. Um, I know there was a large scale case in 2014 and because, you know, as you guys are familiar, these animals are, are considered property. And a lot of times in the court system, that's, that's the equivalent of a TV. So you're, you're sure. fighting that in the court system all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, if by the time all is said and done, Four years goes by, and that's a, you know, that's a pretty hefty bill for a um, rescue or sanctuary or a municipal facility to take on. So, um, sure. you know, for, for cases to get to that point, it's, it's got to be extreme. Well, we lost Bishop. Uh, she is having some technical difficulties. So, Ashley, oh, no. Ashley, you're going to have to just fill in as the other Ashley. All right. Um, I'll do my best. But we'll see if we can get her back on the show. If not, um, I, I'm sure she can message me some good questions. I did have a, a thought or a question, or not even a question, something that we do in Colorado, uh, which is an interesting thing. And it's it's done in some states. I don't know if you have that where you are, but let's say there is a law enforcement investigation for a, a neglected horse. Uh, we can issue, basically it's, it's a bond statute or a cost of care where they have to pay the cost of the care for 30 days of uh, care is for each 30 days of uh, as care of see if Bishop was here, she would keep me in check um, <laughs> of care for the horse, you know, while it's in custody with law enforcement. And it has to be done like within 10 days of the initial impound. And then they have to pay that 30 days like forward. And so that helps with some of the cost. Cause a lot of times what we see is people just can't afford it. And then they surrender the horse and uh-huh. then it can be moved, you know, moved along in that process a little more quick, quickly. Um, so that helps in that aspect, the, the cost of care or the bonding statute that allows people to move forward with that. I issue. have Ash, have you experienced that in Massachusetts? I have I not have actually. That, that's interesting. It is. And it helps, you know, what, uh, a lot of times that's, that's what we see. What, what do you think, or, or from your experience, what is the most common impound reason? Is it skinny horses? Like what's skinny? Is yeah. It? Okay. Uh, yeah. Skinny. And then the other issue, um, and, and this tends to happen more in the large scale cases. So when you're looking at several horses, Ashley and I worked, um, I don't know if you all heard several years ago about the Westport tenancy farmer uh case that was over 1200 animals on a tenant farm it was it was several small leased parcels together uh they had to call on the aspca and and it was just a total kind of team effort of all the surrounding rescues and animal control officers but one issue there was it had become an environmental hazard so because unlike dogs and cats, you know, a lot of manure of these horses not being cared for gets left out. Um, and when it, it becomes kind of overloaded, you're looking at, uh, drinking water issues. If it's in a more suburban area, you're looking at general kind of environmental impact issues. So that, that is probably up there as well. So from the aspect of 
proper care, like let's just talk about the bare minimum. Let's say I want to get a horse because horses are cool and I'm not going to get a mini, right? I'm going to get a real, I'm I know my. And you're going to put it in your backyard, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and back. I'm going to matter of fact, in my backyard, I'm going to get a Belgian. Perfect. Yep. But let's be. Let's and a be, golden puppy right away. And a golden puppy. Uh, thank you for coming back to the show. We really appreciate you. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here today. It's fine. What like as minimum care? Okay, let's just say it's a let's just say it's a warm blood. Okay, and I have a small pasture. What am I paying a year? Like for vet vet like there's no nothing mm-hmm. happens like I don't need to have anything other than routine maintenance but what am I paying a year for one uh, Ashley I just did this math for myself if you want me to <laughs> and I'm piggybacking <laughs> off of you so uh, Ashley and I both have our horses at home so um this one is going to vary greatly region to region and, and kind of what the care cost is so okay. looking in California right now you your average horse is going to eat about 20 pounds of hay a day. Um, you're what we call a hard keeper. One with a fast metabolism is going to eat up to 30 or 40 pounds of hay a day. Um, and for one hay bale right now in California, they're paying almost $30. So you're looking in, in areas of drought and with limited backyard pasture, you could easily spend $30 a day on a horse. Um, and that's if you can find quality. That's I if mean. you can find quality hay. Uh, where I am right now in Massachusetts, uh, I can, I'm, I'm very blessed. I can graze my horses at home. Um, so that's free, but also in the winter and, and right now that the grass is dying, uh, my hay is about $8 a bale. I'm getting it locally. Uh, so for me personally, I'm looking at about $300 a month with three horses at home, uh, $300 a month total. So about a hundred dollars a month, a horse and hay and grain, uh, on top of with a absolutely healthy horse, which if all my fellow horse (laughs) doesn't exist, but an absolutely healthy horse, uh, with my local veterinary costs. And that's something else that can kind of vary greatly, but for vaccines and dental care, I'm looking at $2,000 a year per horse, just for preventative care. And then, uh, for farrier work that needs to be done every six to eight weeks, depending on the living situation and, and the, if the horse has shoes or not, uh, my barefoot horses, that's $50 a visit and my horses with shoes, that's $200 a visit. So, wow. uh, it, you know, I tell people to plan for $10,000 a year and, and that's not, being exaggerate, exaggerate, oh, talk about talking too much pie. Um, <laughs> that's not an exaggeration because uh, $10,000 a year is going to be your bare minimum for feed, farrier work, fencing repair, uh, you know, general basic supplies for your at home first aid kit, which you are going to burn through, you know, very quickly. So it's basically a car payment, no pun intended, with yes. all that, with all that yes, horsepower. Yeah. Most of our listeners probably have had some kind of training. Um, I would think as long as they've actually been required to have training on horses, but it's been probably pretty minimal. What would 
somebody in our profession need to look at to make sure that somebody, you know, the horse looks okay, but they really want to see um, vet records and things like that. What kind of vaccines should somebody really be making sure that their horses are up to date on and, and anything else? Mm-hmm. Well, yes, rabies. Because why, Daniel? Well, it's 99.93% fatal. And horses are? Oh, mammals? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'd, I'd get you there. But seriously, like what, what are the basic bare minimums that we should be looking for to make sure that horses are getting? So that is going to be state dependent. Um, states really vary on their vaccine requirements. Some states require rabies. Some states don't. Ashley and I are both really big proponents of rabies vaccinations. <laughs> um, but it's, it's again, it's very state dependent because states have really different um, regional diseases. So in the Southwest, um, Potomac fever can be a really big issue. So some vets really require that. Some vets don't. Um, but the bare minimum I would say is flu rhino is usually the go-to, um, equine herpes, uh, is extremely contagious and can cause a lot of issues. It's one of the reportable diseases. So flu rhino is a really big one. Triple E is another really big one. Uh, people cannot get triple E from horses, but, uh, it is fatal to the horse. And, um, if you have triple E in the area, which anyone with mosquitoes should be mm-hmm. consider of that West Nile is another one. And a lot of these come, so there's something called like the five way, which is all these vaccines in one big shot and they, you know, harpoon your horse with it, uh, <laughs> and rabies, rabies, rabies. Um, so those are kind of the bare basics. Potomac, Lyme disease, strangles all tend to be voluntary ones. Um, I And botulism is another voluntary one that's dependent on the feeding situation. People feeding round bales tend to vaccinate for botulism because the round bales are more likely to house botulism uh, pathogens. But And, and why is that? Um, so round bales, when they're bailed up... Uh, you know, they tend to can hold more moisture. They also, and and this might sound a little grim for non-horse people out there, but for horse people, this is like whatever it happens occasionally. Um, you can get animals uh, bailed up in the round bales. And it's because the round bale is so big, they take longer to eat. So it'll take longer to find. Um, and when you have dead things in a nice, moist, hay-filled environment, it's a kind of recipe for botulism. Have you guys noticed the decline in large animal veterinarians? Yes. Ash, do you want me to talk about this? Ashley, Ashley has three children. She's wrangling, so she might have stepped away to wrangle children. <laughs> <laughs> she, she said she threw them in the room with a bucket of cheese balls, so the cheese balls might have run out. <laughs> um, this is Sparta. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, the veterinary issue, this is something the American Horse Council and the uh, AEP, the American Association of Equine Practitioners, is watching intensely. Uh, they just did a webinar on it, and it's posted on our website, I believe. Um, but it's something like 50% of 
uh, one, it's one or 2%. This is why, this is why you guys should go watch the webinar. Um, I'm going to okay. show up the numbers, but one or 2% of veterinarians graduating vet school become large animal veterinarians. Wow. One, one or 2%. Not 50% of those are leaving the field every year. Um, being a livestock vet, it's, you know, it's expensive. It's long hours. You're essentially on call unless you're working in a hospital situation 24 hours a day. Um, the pay is not great. You're outside. It's wet. It's cold. Um, you got to stick your whole arm up a horse's butt. You got to stick your whole arm off a horse's <laughs> butt or a cow's Getting butt. kicked. Yeah. Getting kicked. Um, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that hurts you on a daily basis. So it's, that is a crisis essentially. Um, and because that is a really important issue, we're seeing people with limited access to veterinary care for their mm -hmm. horses. Um, I was talking to a rescue the other day, trying to understand how this was impacting them. Um, and they don't have any ambulatory livestock veterinarians in their area. So for the majority of horse people, the vet will come to your house. Mm -hmm. Um, and these really rural areas, that's not an option. So these people are out in Oklahoma. Um, they are servicing a local first nation tribe with therapeutic services with their horses. And if they need a veterinarian for their horses, they need to load up, um, the horse in the trailer and drive four hours one way. Wow. So for vaccines, for colic care, for the horse tripping in the paddock. Um, and that also means if they have a horse that needs to be euthanized, they need to either figure out how to do it themselves, which can be a humane issue in and of itself. Um, or put an injured colicking horse on a trailer and drive it four hours. Um, so it's, it's definitely a very big issue that the industry is concerned about. Do you see anything coming of that as far as, you know, trying to do any kind of incentivizing to people coming out of school um, as veterinarians to try to get them, even if they want to do small animal, but also, you know, taking a little side part into the. Yeah. And there are, my own horse vet does uh, small animal stuff. So there, that is definitely a crossover for a lot of people. Um, I was out in Colorado this summer or last summer, actually, I was out in Alamosa and the, <laughs> I was, I was there for a month and a half and the, wow. vet, the vet hospital out there, um, they see everything. You just drive up and whatever you got, they'll see it. Uh, your cow, your goats, your cattle dog, you know, your pygmy hippopotamus. Yeah. Your pygmy <laughs> hippopotamus. They you know, that's a thing, right? Yes. <laughs> what? It's, it's a real thing. Um, by the way, I, I think this is just incredible stuff. I, I want to kind of switch gears from the from the law enforcement kind of animal control perspective. I've heard this, and this is going to be a controversial take. Go figure, Bishop. <laughs> but I have those. I've heard this. This is not my own words, and I want your feedback. <clears throat> I'm scared to ask this question. <laughs> Does it have to do about the horse meat trade? No, 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 no. That's oh, easy. because I had that's, a question that's about simple, that. That's simple. We can get to that. I've yeah. heard people liken um, the. I've heard people liken the 
horse racing scene to or as similar to animal fighting. Really? Yes. And the reason I've heard that is um, a lot of the things that go on behind the scenes or up to the to the fight, up to the race itself, um, can be very similar from that aspect. And the only difference is the gambling's legal uh, versus illegal gambling on animal fighting. So I was just curious what your thought or take is on that. Ash, do you want me to talk about that? Sure. Okay. Um, so there's two sides to that. One is sanctioned horse racing. So horse racing, you know, the Kentucky Derby stuff that is overseen by, um, the regulating body. And then there is unsanctioned horse racing, which we call, uh, in the industry, bush track racing. That sounds about right. Yep. And, uh, we, this is actually something we've been talking about in depth um and some of our legislative updates because the bush track racing we are seeing uh major issues with there is unsanctioned gambling happening happening in it there are issues um with i i think uh drug dealing and uh so all the things we see with all, all the things you see in dog mm-hmm. fighting are, are happening in this bush track racing the number one issue we are concerned about for the industry is and, and this is gonna sound crazy, but blood doping um, hmm. in horses where you know they they share needles between the horses, and we okay. are having extremely contagious, uh, deadly to horse diseases that we had. I don't want to say eliminated, but very very low rates of. We are seeing uh, really statistically scary spikes of in these bush track. Horses. Where are we seeing bush track? Where is it happening? Uh, Ash, do you remember from that president? I want to say Texas. Yeah, Texas Mexi- was yeah, a big one. Yeah, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, kind of in that area. Um, so what people don't realize is sanctioned horse racing is actually very, very heavily regulated and has a ton of oversight. Um, one thing that happens in sanctioned horse racing is there's an injury database. Okay. And any horse in a, a sanctioned horse race by the jockey club. So your any, any thoroughbred racing um, you see on TV will be this kind. Uh, if the vet, for whatever reason, and every horse has to be seen by a vet, uh, I think within 20 minutes or an hour of a race, they're about to run. And this goes from like the lowest to the highest, I believe. Uh, if that horse has an injury, they are a not allowed to race and B that injury is documented in the injury database. And so if that horse pops up again on a vet's radar, they look them up in the database. And if they have kind of multiple pings in the database they're they have the discretion to, you know, pull them from the race much easier than say a horse was never pulled up. Um, the other thing I, I like to tell people is, you know, a lot of these, horses people care about them deeply um a because there's a lot of money on it so you're not going to want to race a horse that's going to break down so just from that kind of logistical standpoint b horse people are very very passionate about their animals you just described animal fighters though right in the same aspect of people love that that same animal because it, it either wins or cost them a lot of money to buy. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that they are identical. I just think that when I've heard that 
and I, I believe I, I don't want to say who it was because I, I don't know if they're still with us as far as an opportunity for them to uh, to give more insight. But I, I believe what they meant and said was like a lot of the same things happen as far as trying to get their animal ready for the fight, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think the the difference and I don't know, I've never been to a derby. So, um, though, you know, even though animal fighting is illegal, a lot of things happen where you know, they're, they're, it's regulated, right? They, Mm -hmm. they do have, they have referees, they have people that, you know, they weigh in the animals, they make sure that they're not, you know, uh, have anything on their fur, like every, you know, especially Mm -hmm. dog fighting, not cock fighting, but they're given baths to make sure there's no residue or anything. So they can't, Yeah, but they're not legal veterinarians doing this. You don't know that. You don't know that. Well, you don't know that there are most cases, there are veterinarians involved in that. So I just think it's a controversial, interesting take. I'm not saying that horse racing is anywhere near because I don't know. I just heard that, heard that once and thought it was really just an interesting concept. I think with horse racing too, um, with sanctioned, you have a lot of public accountability, uh, accountability, yes. you know, um, and they're, they're looking closely at that. And There's the industry also, has come a long way. I would say the overarching goal, um, you know, dog fighting, there is intent to harm. That is the goal mm-hmm. of the sport. Horse racing, the intent is not to harm. The intent is everybody makes it across the finish line, happy and healthy so they can race again another day. That's a good perspective. Um, yeah. And, and I would say those are two, yeah, those are two very different goals. And so when your goal is to have your horse make it across the finish line, happy and healthy to try again tomorrow, you're going to treat it very, very well. And you're going to do your best to keep it healthy and happy. Sure. Yeah. That's to kind of stay along this line, um, what about rodeos? Sure. So I would also say too, um, the whole goal of working with horses is to keep them happy and healthy. And if there is an aspect of the sport that is going against welfare standards, that is objectively bad. (laughs) I think we can all agree. Right. So, you know, there are aspects of some rodeos that are bad and should be looked at and then i would say the vast vast majority is people treating their horse well doing the right thing um if you are not a horse person or not familiar with how horses are trained or ridden i could understand how if you're going to a rodeo for the first time some i don't know something like cow cutting where the horse is doing spinning or bronco busting, you know, where the horse has a bucking strap on, um, might seem scary or not, uh, good to the horse. But if you go talk to them and learn about the training methods and look at how the horses are treated and, and look at how the horse husbandry kind of works, it's, it's pretty similar to any other, animal, you know, dog agility or something like that. And I, I think you'll find that there's good and bad in, in every discipline and mm-hmm. people look at them differently. It's just understanding, you know, what it, what's it, what it's comprised of and where they're coming from and understanding it a bit more. Well, and I, I had a veterinarian say to me once, because I asked a similar question. I know she, you know, has her own horses and stuff and 
um, I asked about, okay, you know, what is your opinion on, on rodeos? Cause I personally, I enjoy going to them. I enjoy mm-hmm. watching them. Um, but I wanted to make sure I was okay enjoying them. And as long as, you know, they're sanctioned and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, typically PBR rated, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, she said to me, you know, for the most part, these animals are being used for the, the they're performing what they are pretty much bred to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fast running and okay, maybe they're not bred to bronc, uh, you know, buck, but they're going to do that on their own anyway. Well, and actually the bronking horses are bred to bronc. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the bronking horses, I think people think they just kind of grab any horse they can for a hundred dollars out of the slaughter bin and, you know, stick them in this big scary arena and, you know, shock them or something but they're just like the uh bulls where these horses are high dollar horses that are bred for bucking they're very well taken care of and the bucking strap is a strap tied around their belly it's i people always talk about oh you know they they tie a strap around their their bits i'm like no they don't <laughs> they really don't i promise they're not doing that they, yeah, that's they a whole have different a job story. to do like any other horse <laughs> Let's let's rein it back in. No pun intended. Oh my goodness, Dan! <laughs> I'm just really? killing it today. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to talk about some fun stuff. I want to talk about uh, miniature horses and their service animal designation. Oh, good grief! <laughs> no, seriously, is that something oh. that 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 you like? The both of you have experience with how how. I guess what do people use them for? I think it's mobility. adorable. Yeah, I don't I mean, have any experience with it. So mobility, <laughs> I, right? I've seen them used for their use for mobility. And then um, sometimes seeing eye horses, which That's I know so is a cool. really weird thing to think about. But for the, the couple of instances I've seen for seeing eye horses are people of, and I'm going to totally botch this up. I believe they're Muslim or Islamic and can't have dogs in the house. Okay. So, okay they have a miniature horse and and there was a documentary about it. I, Oh, I wish I knew the name of it, but, um, who's cleaning up the mess in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Great question. Um, they make like diaper bags that attach to their butt. Um, but also horses are really tight. This is going to sound weird. Horses are really tidy and they can essentially, I don't want to say be litter box trained, but if you, start putting all their poop in one spot. They're going to go poop in one spot. Oh. Um, they're like humans. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I think it's fascinating. And just the concept of having a horse as a service animal. I just want to see one like on an airplane. That would be I just like, day. I like the little sneakers they put oh, on. Yeah, I know. Oh yeah. They're super yeah. cute. So are they horses? Yes, they are horses. They are not ponies. The miniature act- horse is an actual is horse. An actual horse. Yep. That was so fun. Um, I I think, you know, just the concept or idea of how amazing horses are in general. I think we've lost sight of that in the TikTok, YouTube, social media, just the era of everything. Horses were everything to our like development as a country, right? Ooh. Not only from the aspect of like being able to get around quicker, they did all the work on the farms, right? They were out mm-hmm. there pulling plows, etc. And so I just think that, you know, we've gotten a lot 
a, a, a long way from that because we don't need them in that realm anymore for, for the most part, unless you have land and you still want to use like maybe your Amish or something. I don't know. Uh, no, no disrespect to my Amish people. Shout out. I just think that it's like a, an incredible animal. And if you can't afford to have one and can't afford to, you know, just keep one they're they're a blessing in that aspect. So shout out to the horse owners. You're not as crazy as people think you are. And, <laughs> and if you are, it's okay. We're with you. Yeah. <laughs> and I the, told you, Dan, they know. No, the other thing is like, I think it's important for us as, you know, animal control, however we're defined is to keep that in our mind. Like they're special. So when you go out there and you're dealing with someone in their horse, though in your state, it may be considered property. It's not to that horse owner, right? It's their family member, or it may be a working animal, etc. Do you, okay. This question for the two of you, are horses pets? Oh, no. <laughs> livestock yeah so this is actually a, a very kind of big ticket item for us at the american horse council horses are livestock um that's for a lot of reasons we have it a nice flyer that sums it up at horsecouncil.org um but for so many reasons many of them if if you just break it down simple logistic reasons of keeping horses um they're livestock you need the land to keep a horse and that comes with agricultural designations which require a livestock designation and that's the point of of what i'm mm-hmm. saying is like it even though they're considered livestock they're still part of that person's family right you both have yes. horses you both yes yeah probably yes. like your horses more than your children it sounds like <laughs> <laughs> they are part of the family yep. no but they are they're part of the family and and it, it means a lot and so i think for animal control sometimes it gets a little murky when it's dealing hard with those yeah. investigations yeah and i think i would just remind i mean ashley and i both have much love for our, our animal control officers out there um Horses live a really long time. So you could be dealing with someone who's elderly and is caring for their 30 to 40 year old horse. That is now they are both in decline um, and they could easily have owned that horse for 30 years. Sure. So that's, it's such a delicate um, track to walk. I think it's a great, just a great show as far as like, kind of general horse knowledge and, and understanding of what, what you do. I think my takeaway, my biggest takeaway is to, for the officers to know that there are resources available. Yes, so absolutely. Please check out the website, unitedhorsecoalition.org. Again, unitedhorsecoalition.org. We'll put that in the show notes so you can click on that pretty easily. There are great rescues and, and well, there's probably some bad rescues, but there's mostly great <laughs> rescues uh, that we have here in Colorado. We have quite a few that we've dealt with and done training at. Bishop, I'm sure there's some up there. They're probably called like, uh, oh, cheese or like cheese believe in horses in Wisconsin. I would imagine that's their names because, you know, it's Wisconsin. Um, (laughs) Or (laughs) so. So get involved with your your rescues and, you know, just just be reach out if, if people have yeah. questions for you lean too. on them lean yeah. on them for help and we tell people if you even just need help connecting with your local rescue to network ashley and i it's the united horse coalition is just the two of us so if you email us you're going to get one of us and we try to respond within 24 hours so what's yeah. the email what's the email uhc at 
horsecouncil.org. Okay, cool. We'll put that or in the notes. Emily's is EWDC. That's easy. Is someone making chocolate milk? What's going on? <laughs> it sounds like a dog <laughs> drinking water. Oh, he's like, slurp, 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 slurp. <laughs> do, okay, do any of your horses ever come in the house? Oh, no. No. <laughs> no. I have two Great Danes, though, so they might there. as well be. All right, cool. cool. Those are your miniature horses. Yes, those are my horses. <laughs> That's so awesome. All right, well, Bishop, do you have anything else before we round up the show? Oh, my. No. I'm on those puns today, son. I, wow. No, we need to get you off. <laughs> get off your high horse. Oh, okay. <laughs> I see how this is going. But Ashley and Emily, was there anything else that you had that we didn't get to in this this episode? I think that was most of it. Yeah, Yeah, just you know, reach. We're here to help our fellow animal control officers. I've been there. You know, if you need help with with networking and resources, definitely don't hesitate to reach out to us. Awesome. Yeah, and and we just appreciate your time today and really want to learn more as we continue to do these, these episodes, you know, this is 154th and this is the sec. I feel embarrassed to say that this is the second horse show that we've done. So we've neglected the horse topic. (laughs) Careful, careful what you wish for. I know. Yeah. I think, I think we'd like to get you back on next year and, and just continue these great conversations about, how you can help, what resources are available, some of the stats and studies that you've done, I think is really mm-hmm. eye-opening for our listeners. So we have yeah. all of the data is published for free on our website. So definitely check it out. Cool. We awesome. will. Well, thanks for joining us after, you know, a, a nice break in your week, I'm sure. And uh, we appreciate what you're doing to, you know, help these horses and help these people that want or have horses. Thank, Thank you very much. Able- Appreciate show it. my kids this is why we can't have a horse mom yeah. and dad have enough money <laughs> well i'm gonna tell you right now one of my life goals is to have like a, a little sanctuary where i can have like three horses 75 sheep one goat 17 turtles these are very odd numbers that sounds okay. like a case we have oh well <laughs> I'm happy to talk sheep. I just bought an 80 acre sheep farm. Wow. Nice. Well, we'll talk that next time on the Humane Roundup podcast. We want to say thanks for listening. Please check out our website, humanemain.com, humanemain.com. You can find all the fun stuff there. And as always, Bishop, we like to say thanks for listening and keep Keep it it humane. Humane. Humane.